Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty... He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello, everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the uh, Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. I had like a two-week lapse uh, the prior week to this one. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, I had problems, uh, technical problems with Blog Talk Radio, so I couldn't do the program. And then I was just totally exhausted last week. <clears throat> so I've decided to. Uh, change the format of this program, uh, or the time, first of all, then the format, slightly. And uh, to further notice, this program will begin at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then we will continue, of course, to go over the traditional uh, readings uh, that the Jews go over each and every week, uh, with the addition, of course, of the uh, Renewed Covenant Scriptures. Uh, because... Um, I do believe that Jesus or Yeshua, his Hebrew name, or Yahshua, is uh, the Messiah. So that's a new format uh, as far as the world and what's going on. Things are kind of slow again, but when things get slow, that's when something happens. So that's my experience anyway. Um, you may be hearing in the news, uh, well, I think you are hearing on the news, but uh, this issue with Obama and his birth certificate. Uh, I truly hope the president does have the long-form birth certificate. It looks like uh, Donald Trump and other people of notoriety are kind of forcing him to produce that. So I hope that he does produce that, and I, and I really do hope he's uh, telling the truth about this situation because it would be catastrophic, not only for Americans, but in particular for black Americans if he's not. So I'm hoping that uh, he comes up with this uh, documentation so that they can focus on what's really important, uh, this country and where it's headed. And it's not headed in the right direction at all. Uh, these unemployment numbers, uh, you can get the facts uh, online uh, from uh, certain organizations that will give you the truth about what's really going on. And, and, and the issue is the 15 
plus million people that can't find a job. That's the issue right now. And then also our food crisis in this country is getting worse as well. Um, Feeding America, if you can go to that website, it tells you the facts about uh, people are, the percentage of the population of this country is increasing in the area of uh, lack of food. And if the economy was doing so well, why is that the case? And the economy is doing well for the people that have money. That's what they mean. You know, whenever you see the, the stock market, and really the stock market, for those who don't know, is really uh, a um, a lottery, basically, or sweepstakes for uh, people that are rich and got money and can invest in companies. And when you invest in a company, uh, you uh, earn stock or a piece of the company. And that's what's been going on for years. Um on Wall Street and around the world. Of course, uh, Americans are, in particular, uh, that area in Wall Street dominates the world in terms of playing the stock market game. So it's legal gambling. That's what it really is, ladies and gentlemen. And that's been going on far too long now. And unfortunately, they're legally gambling with people's lives and their, their jobs and their livelihood. Anyway, I will talk more about that in future broadcasts as things uh, get worse and worse and worse. I don't see this country getting anywhere near repenting and totally uh, wanting to obey the laws and doctrines and teachings of God. So until that happens, uh, God has prophesied through his prophets that things will get worse and worse and worse. And it's going to start with the stay of bread. Isaiah chapter 3 outlines that if you ever care to read it, uh, he starts with the stay of bread or the ability of you not being able to take care of yourself. Because that's that gets people's attention when your stomach is growling and, and, and it hurts and you're hungry. That does get most human beings' attention. So anyway, uh, let's uh, focus on uh, the readings today. And I'm going to read something from Habad.org. I always must give credit when it's due. And following the deaths of Nadav and Abaho, God warns against unauthorized entry into the holy. Only one person, the Kohen Gadol, or the high priest, may but once a year on Yom Kippur enter the innermost chamber of the sanctuary. Uh, if you guys understand what I'm talking about, you have to understand the architecture of the temple. The temple uh, consists of two, in the center of the temple, it consists of two chambers. The holy place, which is the area where the priests prepare to do their work. And then there's a curtain in between the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, what I just said there is that the high priest, once a year, is allowed to go through that curtain into the holy of holies. The Holy of Holies represents the innermost chamber in the sanctuary or God's throne room in heaven. That's what it represents. And as we're going to get into the uh, the readings today, you're going to see the significance of this. And it all points to, to the Messiah. Of course, Jews don't believe that, but I don't care what they believe. It's the truth. It does point to the Messiah. 
All right, and uh, the high priest, which really represents Yeshua as the book of Hebrews or the messianic uh, the messianic uh, scriptures or, or Hebrews uh, reveals, is that he is our high priest, and he spiritually entered the temple um, to cleanse us of all our sins. And this is what this represents. Enter the innermost chamber in the sanctuary to offer the sacred ketoret to God. Okay? Now, another feature of the Day of Atonement service is the casting of lots over two goats uh, to determine which should be offered to God and which should be dispatched to carry off the sins of Israel into the wilderness. Uh, the Parsha of Akari also warns against bringing korbanot, animal or meal offerings, anywhere but in the Holy Temple. It forbids the consumption of blood and details the laws prohibiting incest and other deviant sexual relations. So that's what the passage, and let me look this word up here, Ketorit, because I don't even know what that means. Let's see. Um, that's a Hebrew word. I think it has something to do with offerings. But uh, th this is a, uh, an eventful time this year. This is the time that Jews around the world celebrate Passover. So, um, yeah, the word ketorit means bonding or connecting. It's amazing what the Internet can do. You can just type in a word and you can figure out what it is. But uh, I'm waiting for this website to do something here and it's not doing anything. Anyway, let me go to the Wikipedia. All right. Ketorit is a transliteration of the Hebrew word, which is translated into English as ketorit, meaning increase, and generally is used when referring to the holy incense. Okay. So it's talking about incense. So he brought incense into uh, the sanctuary. So just wanted to clarify that. All right. So let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Reading this in the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible, for clarity's sake. <clears throat> now, this the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, is linked with the Passover. The reason why is because it symbolizes... Yeshua, as I'm going to explain, uh, John 1, verse 29, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Day of Atonement pictures that. And you'll see that here. And if Jews just study this and study Isaiah 53, along with this, they'll get it finally that the Messiah is talked about in Isaiah chapter 53. And the Messiah's work is pictured in the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. But anyway, um, in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses or Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, as I just mentioned, inside the veil, before the mercy seat. The veil separated the holy place where the, the, uh, the priests and the Levites did the work of God as far as sacrifice and preparing for sacrifices. And then, behind the veil, 
you have the Holy of Holies. So this is what he's talking about here. Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. The mercy seat represents God's throne. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and, and, and the other lot for Azel, Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall, spring, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Now, this is interesting that he just sprinkled the blood on the east side of the mercy seat. That's another Bible study in itself. But there's a reason why God just allowed Aaron and the other high priest just to sprinkle the blood on the east side of the mercy seat. Now, keep in mind that uh, Christ sits at the right hand of God. If you sit at the right hand of someone, that's on the left side, right? Or the west side, right? All right, so, but that, I'll, I'll get into that some other time. But there's something to do with the fact that God just wanted him to sprinkle the blood on the east side of the throne, which is on the right side in the front when you look at someone. All right, anyway. Uh, and in the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven cents on the front and on the east, but not the west side. Anyway, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood inside the veil and do with his blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells them in the midst of the uncleanness. you got some Jews trying to deceive people. Uh, you know, there's righteous Jews and unrighteous Jews. Well, these are unrighteous Jews, or if they don't know they're, well, if they're not purposely being unrighteous, they are uh, unknowingly being because they're teaching that that is wrong, saying that the blood doesn't atone for sins. And this passage, even a little child can understand that obviously the blood does atone for sins. And that's, that's what it's talking about here in this chapter. So anyway, um, 
verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers in front of the mercy seat on the east side. Okay, verse 15, I'm sorry. Then he shall kill the gold of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood inside the veil and do with his blood as he did, as with the blood of the bull sprinkling over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of the uncleanness. No one sh may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall and, and let me mention something because I was doing a little Bible study yesterday using my software. The word assembly in a lot of cases uh, in the Septuagint, which is the uh, earliest version or translation from the original Hebrew is translated Ecclesia in Greek. Now remember, the Septuagint was a Greek translation. And the word assembly and congregation in the Septuagint, in most cases, is translated Ecclesia. Ecclesia is also used in the what is called the New Testament, and it really should be called the Renewed Covenant um, scriptures, uh, church. So that's where we get church from from Ecclesia, which is translated assembly. So a church is not a building, it's an assembly. That's what it is, or a congregation. Okay? So I just wanted to clarify that. Verse 18, Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar around, all around. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent, in the tent of meeting, any altar he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on himself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall lead them there, and he shall bathe his body in water in the holy place and put on the garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was bought to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burnt up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourself, meaning uh, you don't eat any food and drink any water, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you or dwells with you. For in this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Now, again, this is talking about blood in the context of cleansing you. Okay? It is a Sabbath or Shabbat of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. This is a statue forever, and the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. 
Ye shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And he shall be a statue, and this shall be a statue forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. All right, so in chapter 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If any of the house, if one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camping, or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. Blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is the this is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices as a sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priests, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifice to the goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statue forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, Any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. Now, Leviticus 17, verse 10. If any one of the house of Israel, the strangers who sojourn among them, eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. So obviously blood isn't good to eat, folks. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. And this is linked with chapter 16. And you believe, you got some Jews trying to say this is not what it's talking about, but it is what it's talking about, because this is linked with Leviticus chapter 16. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Okay? Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourn among you eat blood. Verse 13, any one also of the people of Israel or the strangers that who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off, and every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a soldier, shall wash his clothes and bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. And this is interesting. During the time of Passover, the same year, they read these scriptures to help them to understand what God wants us to really cleanse us from. And it's interesting that in these Torah readings, beginning in this chapter, it talks about sexual sins. It seems to be the sexual sins seem to be the most problem that we have as a people in the world, in particular with the nation of Israel, uh, particularly modern Israel, United States. Uh, we lead the world in pornography, and it seems like we always have sex on our minds uh, on on the television. Sex, 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 sex. Commercial. Sex, 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 sex. Whenever there's something about sex, it's, it's on the front page of CNN. You know that that seemed to be our biggest problem. So it's not. A surprise to me that God inspired the Jews uh, 
during this time of Passover, which is a reflection of our lives. We need to get sin out of our lives, and we need to understand that the Messiah uh, was created for us so that we can be cleansed of our sins. Uh, and it's a reflection, and we should all strive during this time of the year, which is the beginning of the year. Passover really is the time of the real beginning of the year. It's not in January, according to the Roman pagan calendar, but the true biblical calendar starts at the beginning of the year in the springtime. And it makes sense. In the springtime, the flowers grow, uh, the leaves come on the trees. Uh, Your common sense should kick in and tell you that that has to be the beginning of the year. So anyway, um, not in the the winter. But anyway, uh, it doesn't surprise me that starting in verse 18 here, God addresses these uh, horrendous sins that even today we still commit. Unfortunately, uh, verse 18, I mean, I'm sorry, Leviticus 18, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt uh, can mean the world today. Okay, Egypt was a very powerful nation at that time, and they influenced the whole world. Then, of course, Israel, as I stated many times in this program, is not just talking about the Jews. The Jews... As, as revealed in Genesis chapter 49, it's just one tribe of Israel. When it talks about the people of Israel here, it's talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, which the United States and Britain is a part of, and Canada, and New Zealand, and South Africa, and Australia, and all those countries in Northwestern Europe, and anyone that claims or believes that they do believe in Yeshua being the Messiah. That is all of Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 confirms that, if you want to read it. But anyway, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you live, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statues. You shall follow my rules and keep my statues and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Verse 6. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. In other words, you know, have sex or want to look at their nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or your your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. You shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. You shall not take 
a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. Verse 19. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. Menstrual uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. So that's, you know, committing. That's a, adultery can mean fornication, and that's a, this is one of the many fornicating sins. Verse 21, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your Lord, I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. Pretty plain. <laughs> you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And let's read the rest of this because a lot of people just stop and don't read the rest. And you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Verse 24. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. This is the reason why, if there's anyone that's listening to me that's you know, homosexual, uh, he, he says you make yourself unclean when you do these things. And not only do you make yourself unclean, verse 25, and the land becomes unclean, so that I punish its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations. All of them are abominations. Either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. In other words, anyone. Verse 27, for the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. That not the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the person who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Okay? So this is in the context of the Day of Atonement. This is really what, this is one of the major things I think each and every human being, particularly those in, in the United States, need to cleanse their minds of. Our movies that we look at, almost all of them got something to do with sex. You know I'm telling the truth. Okay? It's just, it's a big problem that we have. And, you know, human beings aren't meat markets. Okay? A, a, a woman is not a meat, a piece of meat, and a man is not a piece of meat. And God wants us to realize that we must learn how to respect one another. And, and we must look at each other not as a piece of meat, but as a brother or sister that we care about and want to help become the best that they can be. That's the way we need to view each other. Um, Passover is a good time, and it's going to be held um, for this year anyway on both calendars, the Jewish calendar and the biblical calendar that some Jews are observing based on the way it used to be done during the days of Moses and in the first century by... Um, New Moon observance. Uh, this is a rare occasion that the day is the same day on both calendars. It's April 18th at evening. So Monday evening would be the time of the Passover where, they, where Jews and, and other people that understand the truth about how to observe God's holy days 
which are revealed in Leviticus chapter 23, will be observing the Passover. So um, if anyone is interested in doing that and learning how to do it, please email me and I can give you some instructions. Kennard uh, at mercifulservantsofgod.com. It should be done privately in homes. It shouldn't be a national broadcast around the world, uh, but it's, it's um, a, a private event that should be done in each and everyone's home. Uh, and I could give you instructions on how to do that. So it's Kennard, K-E-N-N-A-R-D, at MercifulServantsOfGod.com. Okay, so that is the um, the Torah, the law, teaching, reading for this week. Now we want to go to the Torah, the, the prophets. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, continue this theme about cleansing our minds of, of filthy sins. And again, this, this Passover season is perfect for that. Ezekiel, one of the greatest prophets of all time. Ezekiel, one of the major prophets. Chapter 22, starting in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, you will judge. You will judge the bloody city. Then declare to her all her abominations. You shall say, Thus says the Lord, a city that sheds blood in her midst, so that her time may come, and that make idols to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood that you have shed, and defiled by the idols that you have made, and you have brought your days near, the appointed time of your years has come. Therefore I have made you a reproach to the nations, and a mockery to all the countries. Those who are near, he's talking about Jerusalem, those who are near and those who are far from you will mock you. Your name is defiled. You are full of tumult. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, everyone according to his power. Everyone according to his power have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The soldier suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things to proclaim my Sabbaths. There are men in you who slander to shed blood, and people in you who eat on the mountains, they commit lewdness in your midst, and you men uncover their father's nakedness in you. They violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Just like what we talked about, the violations in Leviticus chapter 18, they do here. Uh, one commits abomination. And then in the context of talking about Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the capital city uh, of, um, of, of, the, of Israel. So, in a lot of contexts, when it's just talking about Jerusalem's sins, it could extend also to the tribes' sins as well, uh, the rest of the tribes. And in verse 11, one commits abomination with his neighbors, another, another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law, another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. And you, they take bribes and shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me you have forgotten, declares the Lord God. And you don't want to do that. Behold, I strike my hand at the dishonest gain that you have made. Dishonest gain. There's nothing wrong with gains, but it was dishonest. It wasn't done uh, in an honest way, and that is the way we deal today in this country with many people. Dishonest gain. Up in our government, our, our, our leaders, our so-called leaders, and, and also uh, along the little guy. And at the blood that has been in your midst, can you 
courage endure, or can your hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries, and I will consume your uncleanness out of you. And you shall be proclaimed by your own doing in the sight of nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And the Lord and the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me, all of them. And see, this is in the context of the house of Israel, as I was just mentioning here. So I just wanted to, to bring that out here. Uh, let me see if there's any commentary on this. Right. Uh, it says right here in my uh, English Standard Version uh, commentary here, it says, uh, the opening words directly correspond Actually, no, this is uh, 22. Look at 22 here. Okay. It says, again, introductory and concluding formulas mark out the bounds of, the, of three distinct but uh, related oracles. Each con um, convicts Jerusalem of practicing vile impurities, okay, Jerusalem, that God refuses to tolerate. The first and longest characterizes the, this behavior in detail. The second uses the metaphor of melting uh, for ridding Jerusalem of its impurities. The third surveys the city's inhabitants, but none provides a reason for preventing its destruction. Okay, and verse 17, though, tells you that not only does this represent Jerusalem, but the entire house of Israel. And it's in verse 17, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tent and iron and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Because you have all become dross, behold, I will gather you in the midst of Jerusalem, as one gathers silver and bronze and, and iron and lead into the tin and furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt you, so I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath, and I will put you in and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it. So anyway, <laughs> this isn't good news, folks, but, but what he said, he's going to punish us. And then through the punishing, uh, he will cleanse us. So again, the whole focus of this, of of the readings this week is cleansing our minds of filth and garbage. And that's important. You have to cleanse your mind of that because if you don't, then other sins uh, will emerge. And let's, let's focus now a little bit more on the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, Yahshua, okay? John 1, verse 29 John 1, verse 29. Yochanan, or Yochanan, uh, John the Baptist, uh, or the Immerser, and John 1, verse 29, he stated, uh, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, or the sin of the world. And is that one that one verse describes the whole work of the Messiah, basically, in a, in a nutshell. And I got this information from um, the Jewish New Testament commentary uh, from my uh, logo software that I recently recently got here to make my Bible studies a little easier here. But anyway, uh, Yochanan identifies Yeshua with the dominant sacrificial animal use. Uh, with the dominant sacrificial animal, which was the lamb, 
That was the most dominant sacrificial animal. It was a lamb, used in connection with temple ritual, and particularly with the sin offering, since he is the one who is taking away the sin of the world. Now, this all alludes back to what? That Leviticus chapter 16 situation, all right? Elsewhere in the New Testament, Yeshua the Messiah is equated with the Passover lamb. Right? So, First uh, Corinthians, let's go, turn there. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse um, 7. It says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Let me explain what that's talking about. Uh, uh, if you read Leviticus chapter 23... It talks about the, the festival of unleavened bread. And what Jews around the world and people who follow them and, and what they do, um, and then, of course, uh, believers like myself who um, were not Jews in the sense of being physical Jews, but we think like Jews and we, and we act like them and we have the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, then you think like a Jew. All right, And, and basically we keep the... Uh, Days of unleavened bread, and and what that means basically is that you take all the the uh, products that have yeast in it that rise, and you replace it with leaven, unleavened bread. So that's what that's talking about here. And you do that for seven days. The unleavened bread symbolizes uh, getting sin out of your life. Okay, and it says cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, and I'm talking about the festival of unleavened bread, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You get this one guy saying the leavened bread doesn't symbolize sin. Well, you want to argue with Paul here? He says uh, the leaven of malice and evil. That's why we got to continue to read the Bible and what it says. Of course, leaven can be positive. There's other scriptures that tell you that, okay, in the New Testament, but... In this context, you have to look at the context, okay? The context of what something's talking about. And in this context, leaven is equated to evil and sin, okay? What is evil? Evil sin. Sin is evil, all right? So if he's listening to me, you're corrected. Anyway, the figure of the lamb connects Yeshua with the passage identifying the Messiah as his suffering. And the figure of the lamb. Now, this is significant, especially if any Jews are listening to me. The figure of the Lamb connects Yeshua with the passage identifying the Messiah as the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. And then Dr. Stern quotes uh, or refers to another scripture in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. starting in verse 32. And this is a quote from, um, let me make sure here, yeah, from Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 7 to 8. It says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. The Messiah is pictured as a lamb. That's, the, that's right in the Tanakh. It's not in the New Testament for Jews who are listening to me. So 
So the Messiah is talked about in the context of a lamb. Sanhedrin, I think it's 98A or B, talks about Isaiah 53, and this is in the Talmud, for so Jews that are listening to me. It talks about the Messiah saying that that's talking about the the, um, the suffering Messiah, the leopard Messiah, whatever. But anyway, it, it makes a, a mention of it possibly being or talking about the Messiah. Matter of fact, many Jews believe that Isaiah 53 was talking about the Messiah until after the first century. But anyway, that can be proven. And his sacrificial death by execution on the stake is compared with that of a lamb without a defect or spot. And that's found in 1 Peter 1, verse 19, as required by Torah. Uh, these are various scriptures that you could, you know, Look at uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, uh, 29, verse 1, Leviticus 1, verse 3, 10, uh, 9, verse 3, uh, 23, verse 12. In the book of Revelation, Yeshua is referred to as the Lamb nearly 30 times. 30 times. On God's requiring a human sacrifice for sins, see 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, and Messianic Jews or Hebrews, uh, chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. And indeed, the entire book of the Messianic Jews or the book of Hebrews. So this is from, I got this quote from um, the Jewish New Testament commentary. I suggest that you want to understand the Bible in a way you never understood it before. You Please get this commentary. It will help dig in the gold nuggets that right now aren't gold because you're just reading from the King James Version, which is a decent translation in English. But what it does what it does not do is give you the Hebraic understanding or context of the scriptures. You, you need something else, okay? Christ stated in John 4, verse 22, that salvation is of the Jews. He didn't say it was of the Catholics, the Protestants, the Buddha people, the Muslims. He didn't say that. He said salvation is of the Jews. Now, he wouldn't say that unless a lot of the Jewish writings and teachings is worthwhile, Um Again, as I've tried to explain many times in this program, the conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees of the modern rabbis uh, of today is that some or a significant amount of their interpretation of the Old Testament, which was called the Oral Law at that time, and, and it's, it was later on written in this book called the Mishnah, and then from the Mishnah you have a huge volume of information called the Talmud that interprets the Mishnah, Many of the traditions um, did not uphold to the written Torah. And Jews today believe, or most Orthodox Jews anyway, conservative, uh, I don't think the Reformists believe this anymore, but they believe that God gave Moses two laws. He gave him a written one and an oral one. That, that cannot be proven out of the Bible. That is a lie. And that's what he... If he nailed any law to the cross, he nailed that one to the cross, the oral law. The traditions that went against the written law. Now, of course, those traditions that did not go against the written law, he did not nail to the cross. But he nailed the traditions that made the law of God of none effect. The law of Moses is a great law according to God. It's a perfect law. That was not nailed to the cross. What was nailed to the cross is the misinterpretations or misunderstanding on how to apply the law of Moses. 
That was nailed to the cross. And I don't think hardly any minister would teach you that because most ministers have been brainwashed and indoctrinated into saying that Jesus came and he stuck his finger in his father's face and said, forget you, I'm going to make my own laws. He didn't do that. He stated in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 19, that he did not come to destroy the law, but to com- to fulfill, that means to complete, to help you understand it fully. Because he stated in John chapter 7 that hardly any of you keep the law and none of you keep the law. So they had a hard time understanding the law in the first place. That was one of the reasons why he came to clarify how to keep the written Torah. And in some cases, the oral Torah or the, or the, the traditions the right way. All right. So... Let me quote you something else. How much time do I have left here? 41 minutes. All right. Uh, Let me quote you something else from a commentary in the New Testament from the Talmud in Hebraica. This is uh, by um, Mr. Lightfoot. And he quotes here, or I quote from him, says, St. John alludes plainly to the Lamb of God, the daily sacrifice. So that lamb was a daily sacrifice. It was a sacrifice in the morning and then in the afternoon. Okay? That was the daily that was a daily sacrifice. I think it was in the morning and the evening, right? Morning and the evening. Is that correct? It was morning and the evening, right? The morning sacrifice and the evening, right? The daily sacrifice, right? There was two of them. And um and this chat says which and shadow took away the sins of Israel. So this daily sacrifice would take away the sins of Israel, which is pretty interesting. And it was commanded in the law that he offered the sacrifice should lay his hand upon the head of the sacrifice. This is Leviticus chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 2, 4, and 4. It says, the reason of which usage was that he might, as it were, transfer his sins and guilt upon the head of the offering, which is more especially evident in the scapegoat. That's in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 22. Hence, the Messiah is said himself to have borne our sins in his own body on the tree. That's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, as the offering upon the altar was wont to do. He was made by God a sin for us. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. That is a sacrifice for sin. The same rite was used about the lamb and the daily sacrifice that was offered for Israel. The stationary men, as they were called, or the substitutes of the people laying their hands upon the head of the Lamb. To this, therefore, the words of the Baptists refer to the Lamb of God, that is, the daily sacrifice. So when you see the Lamb of God, you might as well put in daily sacrifice. Take away the sins of the world, as the sacrifice did for all of Israel. But behold, here the true Lamb of God, that taketh away the sins of the world. So that's a pretty good quote there. I'll help you understand that a little more in detail. Okay, now we're going to get to Romans chapter 1, which is I, I one of my favorite passages as well. I think every passage is my favorite in the Bible, but some just, some just uh, comes out in the open, and this definitely does, in Romans chapter 1, especially in light of reading all the, the sexual abominations that uh, we read about in Leviticus chapter 18. Romans chapter 1. So let me read this whole chapter here. And then I should be done after this. Uh, then we 
can open the line. We actually have eight minutes here left, and then we can open the line for discussion here. Uh, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace, which means favor, and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. That means obedience and faith go hand in hand. You just can't disbelieve without obedience. So it says about the obedience of faith, which is a significant statement there, for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So this is a letter that he wrote to the Romans, or those Christians that were in Roman, Rome. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, which is symbolic and representing the everyone else. Okay, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's what we live by, faith. Faith is trust, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has known, shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, when you don't believe in God, God has a law set in place where your your, your mind becomes darkened, and, and you really... Don't desire him, as you should. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served a creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. So right now, Paul, or God through Paul, is condemning homosexuality again. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And I just discussed to you what the penalty would be. Uh, they defile themselves and they defile the land. That's in Leviticus chapter 18. Verse 28. For since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I just explained that. That's what happens when you don't want to acknowledge God. God will let your mind uh, become debased to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29. That's what happens whenever you rebel. Whenever you rebel, God will allow that rebellion to continue. You know, he'll just allow you to continue on with that rebellion. And you don't want that. You want to instead acknowledge God and obey him so that you won't sin as often or get to a point where you won't sin at all. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, inventors of evil. That's really evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And this is the key, folks. You've got to learn how to believe God. If you don't believe God, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to turn to this this wicked person that has all these character traits. Uh, when you start doubting God, when you start thinking that God doesn't know what he's talking about, when you start saying, hmm, I think God approves of homosexuality. After all, he's love. But what is love? I mean, do you know what love is? Love is the keeping of God's commandments. That's the love of God. Let's, let's turn to First John. You know, these are simple definitions here that we all need to know. God tells you what love is. You don't have to guess. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And despite what people lie and tell you, his commandments are not burdensome. Okay, so... For people to to tell you that they are, they don't know what they're talking about. I know from personal experience that his um, law is not burdensome. And anyone that tells you that that it is, they don't know what he's talking about. Don't know what he's talking about at all. It's another scripture that I want to locate here. Let me use my Bible program here to find it. But that that should definitely explain what love is. Uh, anyway, so um, you know, love is keeping God's commandments. It's it's linked with keeping the commandments. So, and if we don't, and then here's another. This is the scripture I was trying to find. First John three verse sixteen. 
And then this is linked with John 3, verse 16. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So, and then it states here, uh, for whoever, who, for whoso have this world's good, and sees his brother has need, I'm reading this in the King James, and shut up up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwells the love of God in him. So, you know, you can't say that you love God and, and, and hate your brother. That's what that's saying, basically. So um, it's important to just learn how to love. And, you know, there, there's a simple definition I'm trying to find in here. Uh, as far as what love is and and uh, how to apply it and what we need to do, it's in Romans. Chapter 15. Uh, Let me see if I can find it here. Got to get used to this morning scene. Romans 13, I'm sorry. Romans 13, verse 10. Romans 13, verse 10 states, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law, or the fulfilling of the commandments the teachings and doctrines of God. So that's what love is, uh, if you ever wonder what God says it is. So all these other books and volumes of encyclopedias have been written, I guess, to try to tell you what love is. It's very simple if you just go to what the Bible tells you and, and read what it says, and it tells you what love is. So uh, love is, is linked with keeping the, uh, the commandments of God. So that's, that's the main thing. Okay, so if anyone wants to call in, do it now. This number is uh, 347-1347-945-7525. That's uh, 1347-945-7525. Again, that number is uh, 1347-945-7525. I'll just wait a few minutes, and uh, if I don't hear anything, then um, I'll just uh, end this show, and uh, we'll pick up next week. All right, well, I guess some people are shy or uh, don't want to speak. That's fine. Um this uh, will be on the archives like many of uh, my other uh, broadcasts. And, uh, hey, uh, I'll speak to you next week. And may God bless and keep you. And God willing, I'll be available next week at 9 o'clock in the morning. Malachi Chapter 4 For behold, 
The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.